the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hey, what's up, Porch? How are we doing tonight? Hey, if this is your first time here, my name is Timothy Atik, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Watermark on Sundays, as well as here at the porch. I want to say hello to everyone in the room, as well as everyone watching at a porch live location in different parts of the country. So glad that you are tuning in with us. And I know that there's people literally all over the world just sitting at their computer or watching their TV, watching the porch with us right now. And so I want you to know we see you, and we're so glad that you are joining with us tonight. We are in week four of a series where we have just been walking verse by verse through the most famous chapter in the entire Bible, which is Psalm 23, which we just heard. And I'm so excited about where we are landing tonight in verse five. To set it up, I'll just share this with you. Uh, When I was in sixth grade, I was at Dallas Love Field Airport preparing to fly from Dallas to Austin, and my cousin, who was a single young adult man at the time, took me to the airport, and uh, while we were in the airport, he asked me if I had something to write with, and I was bending down looking for something in my backpack to write with, and while I was doing that, my cousin, the reason I told you he was a single young adult was because it had been raining outside, and he had the umbrella of a single young adult. It was male. It was, a, uh, it was an umbrella without a handle on it. It was just the metal end. It was super janky, but he just went ahead and used it. And as I was bent down looking in my bag, he threw the umbrella on the ground. Total freak accident. It popped open, and that metal end shot up and hit me right in my right eye. And I went into the bathroom, and I pulled down my eyelid, and there was this massive red abrasion on my right eye. And I was crying like crazy. And, uh, and my cousin didn't know what to do with me. Uh, so he just put me on the plane and sent me to, to Austin for his brother to deal with it. So when I landed, I cried the whole way to Austin. When I landed, my other cousin took me to the emergency room where they gave me eye drops in an eye patch. And I will never forget this eye patch because... It was blue with white felt on it in a picture of a Dalmatian dog. I'm in sixth grade, people. So I got the eye patch and a sign that said, kick me to put on the back of me for when I went to school. Nobody's crushing it in sixth grade with a Dalmatian dog eye patch. But the result of that experience was that I developed what's known as an eye floater. Um, which just means that I see black dots permanently in my right eye. And for the first year of having it, I genuinely just thought that there was always a mosquito around me. Like, like there was literally for a year, I'd be sitting there and I'd be like, 
and I could never get it. And then I realized, like, this thing is here to stay. And then that one dot got a few more dot friends. And so now, I kid you not, this has happened for decades now. The world that I know is a world with black dots right here. There's just a circle of black dots perpetually in my right eye. As far as I know, the world we live in is a world with black dots right here. That's the world that I know. And I haven't done a bunch of digging into it to know if I can do something about my eye floaters. As far as I know, there's nothing I can do. And I've just accepted the fact that this is who I am. This is the way it's going to be. And this will be my life. Now, that's fine. That, that type of mentality is fine when you're talking about seeing a few black dots in your right eye. But it's not okay when you bring that mentality into the spiritual realm. See, the reality is that many of us live with brokenness in our lives in the form of sin, and we believe the lie that, you know what, this is just who I am. This is just the way it's going to be. This is the world as I know it. And so many of us will go through life and, and we will believe a mentality that just is not congruent with who our Savior truly is. And so many of us live with this, with this corrupt operating system that just says, you know what, this is just who I am. I'm, I'm just an insecure person. You know what, I'm just, I'm just an angry person because of all that has happened to me. I, I just have a stronger sex drive than most other guys or most other girls. That's just who I am. I'm just not a disciplined person. I'm just not a confrontational person. I'm just an anxious personality. I just feel better when I'm in control. And so we, we allow that corrupt operating system to, to just quietly operate in the background of our lives. And so that is why pornography just moves in and makes itself at home. That's why many of us lie or exaggerate or tell half-truths to make ourselves look better than we actually are. That's why many of us will manipulate guy after guy or girl after girl to kind of get something from them to make ourselves feel better about who we are. That's why many of us overeat or undereat or spend money that we don't actually have. It's because we buy into this mentality of this is just who I am. I'm just a stereotypical young adult. This is just the world that I know. This is just the way it has to be. See, it's good for us to remember that that we all have an enemy. And the Bible refers to the enemy as the devil or Satan. But Jesus gives the devil a title. He's called the father of lies. Peter refers to him as a, as a lion, a roaring lion prowling around seeking someone to devour. And what I need you to understand is our enemy's greatest accomplishment is getting us to accept defeat when Jesus Christ has already secured the victory. This is what is crazy, is we have an enemy, and his greatest accomplishment is getting you and me 
to accept defeat when Jesus Christ has already secured the victory. Well, how do we accept defeat? Well, we accept defeat in the form of acquiescence. We acquiesce. This is just who I am. Change is not possible. And the life that I know is a life where this brokenness will just exist. As we step back into Psalm 23, we land now in verse 5. And I just want you to see what verse 5 says. Here's what it says. King David is writing and he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Isn't that interesting? He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The reason that you need to understand what's happening here is that this is actually a picture of a celebration of victory. And the reason that David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, the reason that David's enemies are there is because they have been conquered. And so the enemies are forced to sit there at the feast and they have to watch David dine in triumph. So that's the picture here, is that David is experiencing victory in the presence of his enemies. And I believe that God wants you and I to experience the same thing. I believe that God wants you and I to walk in victory. Why? Because Jesus Christ already secured the victory for us through his death on a cross, burial in a tomb, and resurrection from the dead. So this is just a theology check. So for those of you who kind of theologically geek out, let's just make sure that your theology is intact. And for those of you who are like, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Like this is a good chance for us to all get on the same page. It would be completely inaccurate to say that Jesus will win one day. It is actually inaccurate to even say Jesus is winning because the most true statement is Jesus Christ has already won. He's already won. Well, how can I say that? Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, he says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, that's Jesus, what did he do? He made a public spectacle of them. Who are them? It's the powers and authorities. He's talking about Satan and all of his demonic forces. He's saying that Jesus made a public spectacle of our enemy. How? triumphing over them by the cross. So when Jesus Christ went to the cross, when he was crucified between two criminals, when he declared, it is finished, what was finished? He was finished accomplishing God's will, reconciling a broken and busted humanity back to a perfect God. But not just that, it was finished triumphing over Satan's sin and death, making a mockery of them. So you need to know our enemy has already lost. I said it a few weeks ago when March Madness was happening, but Satan now is just like the guy who's looking at the scoreboard and he knows he's already lost, but he's just going to foul as many times as he can on the way out. But he's already lost. Every act now of our enemy is just the act of a sore loser. 
And so here's what I want you to hear. Don't miss this. If you're tuned out, tune back in. All eyes on me right now. Okay? Jesus wants victory to be a normal part of reality for everyone who calls upon his name. Let me just say that again. Victory can and should be a normal part of reality for every follower of Jesus Christ. What am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that victory means change is possible. You and I can fight against sin and experience. We can take ground in our sin struggles. We can grow in Christ-likeness. And so here's what I want you to think about, okay? If you're here tonight and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what I want to just ask you to decide right now in your own mind. When you think about following Jesus, which word right now pairs better for you with following Jesus? Failure or victory? Like when you think about your journey with Jesus, when you think about your life right now, which word pairs better for you when you think about following Jesus? Failure or victory. If for you it's the word failure, that's okay. I'm so glad you came tonight. This is actually a perfect night for you to come because failure doesn't have to be your final answer. And so here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that victory isn't just possible. Victory has already been purchased through Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. And so what I want you to know tonight, as we look into Psalm 23, there's going to be three things that you need if you're going to want, if there's going to be three things that you're going to need in your life if you're going to walk in Christ's victory. Here they are. Number one, you're going to need God's sight. Number two, you're going to need God's strength. And then number three, you're going to need God's spread. If you want to take a step towards victory, if you want to kind of abandon the, the broken and busted operating system that just says, this is the way it has to be. This is just who I am. This is how my life is going to be. Change is possible. Victory is on the table for you tonight, but you're going to need God's sight, God's strength, and God's spread. If you have a Bible, turn with me tonight to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is where we have been. If this is your first time here, I'd encourage you to go back and check out the first three talks in the series. But we've been making our way just verse by verse through the psalm. And David says this in, verse, in chapter 23. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And here it is, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The first thing you're going to need if you're going to walk in Christ's victory is you're going to need God's sight. What I am talking about is I am talking about prescription lenses from God for your heart so that you can see God and yourself clearly. I don't know if you saw the, the transition in the text, 
But in Psalm 23, for the first four verses, David is referring to God as a shepherd and he's a sheep. But in verse 5, there's this pivot and David abandons the shepherd imagery and he picks up the imagery of God being a host. So God is host and David is honored guest. Here's why that's so important. In the ancient Near East, hospitality was so much more than it is today in the United States. Like in the United States, hospitality is just an elaborate charcuterie board with a mid-range bottle of wine. Like it was so much more than that in the ancient Near East. Like if you came to stay with me in the ancient Near East, then here is what I was committing to do as your host. I was committing myself taking full responsibility for two things. Number one, your safety, and number two, your satisfaction. For the entirety of your stay, I was responsible for your safety and your satisfaction. So, for example, in the book of Genesis, there is this, there's this really weird and interesting story where these angels come to visit a guy named Lot in a town called Sodom. And the, the people of Sodom are crazy. And they want to get access to these angels to harm them. And Lot is willing to sacrifice the safety of his own daughter in order to protect the two angels who are his guests. Why do I tell you that? Well, it shows that in the ancient Near East, you took hospitality very seriously. If you were the host, you were you are making a decision to take full responsibility for someone's safety, but not just that, their satisfaction. So a host would, would bring out their best meals. They would cook their best meals. They would spare no expense because they took full responsibility. So when David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, I want you to see how David is seeing. He is seeing things how God sees them. David looks and says, God is host. I am honored guest. Like David is being invited to eat at the king's table and the king is throwing a banquet actually for David. And so the question that you need to answer is, is do you see life through God's sight? Do you have the right sight? Some of you guys... Um, you wear contacts or glasses, like until you put your contacts in in the morning or until you put your glasses on, you cannot make sense of reality. Is that anyone in the room? Like you just, you might see blurry shapes, but otherwise you cannot make sense of reality. Well, you need to understand when it comes to life in the spiritual realm, every morning that you wake up, you have you have a choice to make whether you're going to put on God's lenses or you're going to put on some other lenses that are being handed to you by your enemy. So I do have glasses. I don't really wear them. That's a longer story, but these are my glasses. Uh, I've had them for about 13 years. And so I only wear these at night when I'm driving. But here's the reality. When I put them on, I can see clearly. They're they're doing their job. But today, Alex Hockett, a guy sitting right down here, he walked in to the office I was in and he handed me these. And I was like, well, where did these come from? He was like, I don't know. I just found them laying around. I was like, ew. But anyway, <laughs> here's the reality. When you put... 
when you put these on, life looks very different. Like the world that I now know is, is a life through a very distorted lens. And so you need to know you are either walking through life with a distorted understanding of reality or you are seeing things clearly, meaning you are seeing them through God's sight. And each morning, you have a choice which prescription lenses you're going to put on. So many of us, we wake up and we see life through the wrong lenses. And so we wake up and you know what we say? We say, you know what? I am a failure I'm probably going to fail again today. God's disappointed in me. God is watching me from heaven, hoping that I make better choices than I normally make. But the reality is, is that I'm just a stereotypical young adult, and this is just who I am, and this is just really how it's going to be, and change really isn't possible. You have to choose whether you're going to live with those lenses or you're going to pick up God's lenses and you're going to put them on and you're going to see things more clearly and you're going to begin to see the reality that the one who already defeated Satan's sin and death is your host. He's your host. And you are his honored guest. You're not a stereotypical young adult. You are a guest of the king. You're his beloved child. He loves you. He's, he's for you. He takes responsibility for your safety. Have you ever thought about God in that way? That because he is host, he takes full responsibility for your safety. He's already won, and he wants his victory to be your victory today. And it's not just that Jesus did something. He is doing something today in your life. Like, I don't know if you notice, but in verse 5, when it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. All of the verbs belong to who in that verse? God. God. God is the one doing all of the activity in association with the celebration feast in the presence of David's enemies. God is responsible for all of the activity. And yet so many of us wake up and we're like, you know what? God's looking down from heaven and he's watching me hoping I, make, I, I do the right thing. So I'm going to try hard for God and yet it's probably not going to go well. God already did something, and God is doing something. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is able to say, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful. Watch this. Here's what God is doing. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Do you realize that? Anytime you are tempted, anytime you're tempted, God's like, hey, there's a way out. Like it might just flash into your mind, like for a split second, you're like, no thanks, I'll do this. But there is always a way of escape because God is doing something and he is a good host who takes full responsibility for your life. 
But you have to begin to wake up. Every morning you need to know you're going to wake up and you're going to be fumbling around. You're going to be feeling around for, for what lenses am I going to put on today? And you need to know that you have an enemy who's like, this one. And so you have to wake up. And you have to begin to see things through God's sight. I uh, battled pornography for seven years. Seven years. Pornography was a big part of my story. Especially in college. And there was a a breaking moment in my life where God just reached in and said, we're going to be done with this. And you know what it it required of me, it required of me to wake up each morning. I woke up and I began to pray the same thing over and over. I began to wake up and I used to say, God, I pray that today your standard of purity would become my standard of purity. Lord, I pray that today you would fill me with your spirit that I might bear the fruit of self-control. And God, when I am tempted today, will you help me to see the way of escape and to take it? And one day turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, months turned into years. But it started with waking up and putting on God's lenses. You're going to need God's sight if you're going to walk in Christ's victory. Number two, you're going to need God's strength if you're going to walk in victory. You're going to need God's strength. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Watch this. You... uh, You anoint my head with oil. Some of you young adults who are already into essential oils, like you claim this verse is like your life verse. You're like, yes, God, you anoint my head with essential oils. (laughs) It's not what it says. But in the ancient world, a host might greet someone and anoint their guest with oil on their forehead. And when they would do that, you know what it would do is it would create a a glossy sheen on someone's face. It would change their countenance, and it might even give their body a fragrance. Figuratively speaking, to be anointed with oil, it carried the idea of God's blessing or favor. So for those of you in the room who are familiar with the life of David, can you think of another time when David's head was anointed with oil? It was when he was a teenager and he was anointed as king. And I want to draw a connection for you between oil and one other thing. 1 Samuel 16, 13 says this, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that's David, in the midst of his brothers. Watch this. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Here's what I want you to see. There's a connection even in the Old Testament between oil and the Spirit of God. When David's head is anointed with oil, what rushes upon him? The Spirit of God. Oil was a symbol for the favor of God. And God's favor manifested itself in the Spirit of God rushing upon David. Now, I want you to fast forward to today. Jesus Christ has come. He has died. He has risen. He ascended into heaven. And who did Jesus send? He sent the helper, the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. If you put your trust in Jesus, do you know who lives inside of you? The Spirit of God lives inside of you. I cannot think of a better way that God can display his favor upon us. Can't think of a better way that our 
Our lives can be transformed. Our countenances change. Our character smells differently. Why? Than being anointed with the oil that is the presence of the Spirit of God living inside of us. Now, the reason that I said that if you want to walk in Christ's victory, you're going to need God's strength. Here's why I said that. Let me just watch this. Follow me on this. Watch the argument that I'm making. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 say. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. Verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he, God, exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. So do you see what Paul's saying? Paul is saying, look, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to experience the power of God. It's an incomparably great power. And it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Where does that power come from? Romans chapter 8, verse 11, watch this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So do you make the connection? Paul is like, look, I want you to know the power that raised Christ from the dead. And then he says in Romans, you know what that power is? It's the spirit of God. And that spirit actually lives in you. So please don't miss what I'm telling you. If you want to walk in victory, then you have to get your mind around this. Don't miss it. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is living inside of you right now. Have you ever thought about that? Like, have you ever just made that mental shift and realize that the Spirit of God doesn't live in you with passively. Like the Spirit has purpose in your life. And one of those purposes is for you to know the same power that raised Christ from the dead in a very personal way. It's an incomparably great power. Nothing rivals it. Nothing can stand against it. No addiction, no lies from the enemy telling you that you're a failure or you're worthless or you're never enough. No hurt, no heartache, no anger, no bitterness, no resentment. Nothing can stand up against the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's why Paul is able to say in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's able to say confidently, look, walk by the Spirit. That word walk, it, it implies a, a consistent dependence. Walk by the Spirit and I can confidently tell you, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You'll experience victory. I've used this illustration before, but several years ago I was watching this game show and this game show it was just a bunch of obstacle courses. So contestants would run these obstacle courses and compete to win. There was this one obstacle course. I'll never forget this. Um, 
There was this point in the course where there were four different doorways and the doorways were covered by paper. So the thought was that contestants would run and just kind of eeny, meeny, miny, mo the four doorways and pick one and run and burst through the paper and keep going. The only catch was that behind three of the four doorways were wooden beams. So what you saw was contestant after contestant run up, hope for the best, pick a doorway, burst through paper, and experience massive amounts of regret (laughs) and shame. But then I began to notice that there were a few contestants that figured it out. Because when they got to that point in the courts, instead of just kind of hoping for the best, picking one and going for it, you know what they would do? is they would stop and just start staring. Because what they realized is if they waited long enough, the sunlight would hit the paper and illuminate which ways led to death and which way led to joy and peace. And I tell you that just to say, the Spirit of God is the light that shines in our lives and makes known to us the path of life. And he's committed to leading us in the ways that lead to joy and peace. And he's trying to steer us away from the paths that will lead to shame and regret. That's what he wants to do. He is resurrection power living inside of you. If you want to walk in Christ's victory, you are going to need God's strength. So let me just ask you, if you're, if you're in the fight right now, if you feel like you are fighting a losing battle, if the word failure feels like it connects more for you than victory, then let me just ask you, when is the last time you got on your knees and begged God for resurrection power in your life? Like when's the last time you said, Holy Spirit, I know you live in me. I beg you for the same power that raised Christ from the dead to do something in me. Change the way I think. Change the way that I operate. Change my desires. Do a work in me. Regardless, would you give me the strength that I need today, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, and the self-control today to walk on the path that is most glorifying to Christ because you live in me. Here's what you need to understand though. Walking implies consistent reliance. It's not just a one-time deal. Like we're talking moment by moment. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You know what Paul's doing? He's saying, hey, look at what it's like when you're drunk. What happens when you're drunk? You're controlled by alcohol. It affects the way that you think, the way you talk, the way you act. He's like, yeah, take that analogy and apply it to the Spirit. You want to be controlled by the Spirit like alcohol would control a drunk person. You want to be controlled in such a way that it changes the way that you think, the way that you talk, the way that you act. But in order for you to be controlled by the Spirit, you have to relinquish control. And that requires surrender. Where you wake up and say, my way is wrong, your way is right. Your way is good, my way is wrong. Your way is the best way. I will go 
with you. And then really the question you have to answer is, do you really want to change? Like honestly, do you really want to change? Because if the Spirit of God goes to work and unleashes resurrection power in your life, it's going to be amazing, but things are going to change. And that might change what you do on the weekends. That might change your relationship status. That might change where you work. That could change all sorts of things. So the real question is, do you really want to change? If so, the good news is that you have God's side and God's strength available to you today. But if you want to walk in Christ's victory, you don't just need God's sight and God's strength. You're going to need God's spread. What do I mean by God's spread? That feels a little weird. Here's what I mean. David finishes verse 5. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So the picture here is of a banquet feast. Just imagine the, the best foods God's spread, like God playing the menu. God made the food. He brought it. It's going to be the best. He says, my cup overflows. It's just a picture of God continually topping off David's chalice so that David is constantly satisfied. He is always fully satisfied. So here's what you need to know. If you want to go on the offense against your sin, if you want to go on the offense, then by far the best thing you can do is enjoy God and all of his provisions every single day. Enjoy God and all of his provisions. It's to sit with Jesus in his word every day until you have tasted and seen that he is good. Because here's the deal. The more you enjoy God, the more difficult it is to enjoy sin. It is very difficult to enjoy God completely and enjoy sin completely at the exact same time. Because the more you realize that you have in God the less you feel like you need from sin. But here's what you need to understand. You know what your enemy capitalizes on? Our enemy capitalizes on perceived need, perceived hungers. So you hunger to feel enough? Well, compare yourself to others. Busy yourself to the point that you're too busy for Jesus. If you hunger for approval, this is a big one for me. Then become who someone else wants you to be and stop being who God made you to be. If you hunger for control, fine. Manipulate your friends and family members. Manipulate your diet in an unhealthy way. Harm yourself. Turn to pornography so that you can feel in control. If you hunger for love, choose lust. Compromise. Date the wrong guy or girl. It's easier that way. You hunger for security, then don't trust God. Don't walk in faith. Accommodate all your fears in life. You hunger for justice. Anger, bitterness, and resentment are your right. See, our enemy capitalizes on perceived hungers. And here's the crazy thing. Our tendency is to run to the world looking for what we already freely have in Jesus Christ. Our tendency is to run to the world looking for what we already have freely in Jesus Christ. I just want you to think about this. What's your favorite restaurant in Dallas? Okay, for me, my favorite restaurant is probably a place called Uchi. It might be a place called Hillstone. Both of those that kind of go back and forth for me. Love both of them, okay? I don't know what it is for you, but here's what I want you to imagine. If I were to invite you over to my house for dinner 
And whatever your favorite restaurant is, what if I told you, hey, I'm catering it in, I'm bringing it in, all of your favorite dishes, they're going to be this massive spread from your favorite restaurant, the, the place that you enjoy the most, I'm having it for you. Now, can you imagine being at my house with your favorite meals in front of you and you excusing yourself and going out into my alley and starting to dig through my trash looking for something to eat? Wouldn't that feel crazy? And yet we do it all the time in the spiritual realm. That we have everything our souls long for freely in the person of Jesus Christ, and yet we run to the world looking, digging through trash cans, looking for spiritual scraps. And so let me just remind you of what the good news of Christianity is. Here is the gospel. The gospel of Christianity is this. Jesus drank the cup of wrath so that we could drink the cup of God's blessing. Jesus drank the cup of wrath. When he went to the cross, he was crucified for your sins and mine. He was punished for your sins and for mine. He drank the cup of God's wrath. Why? So we could drink the cup of God's blessing, that we could know Jesus, and we could be satisfied by Jesus now and forevermore. If you're hungry for justice, Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He's got you. If you hunger for control or security, Colossians 1, 17 says, He, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If you hunger for love, 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. If you need to feel enough, If you're longing for approval, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For our sake, he, God, made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? It means that the God of the universe would look at us and say, You're enough. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. He has made you enough when you could never be enough. You have all the... uh, enoughness, all the approval that you need in Jesus. And so one of the greatest misunderstandings when we feel like we're walking in failure is we look at God and we're like, God, I need you to do more for me. I need more strength from you. I need more help from you. But here's the reality. You don't need more from God. You just need more of God. Because everything that you need, everything that your soul truly longs for, it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. And here's the reality. If Jesus Christ cannot satisfy your soul, I assure you nothing else can. Just try me on that. If Jesus Christ cannot satisfy your soul, I promise you nothing else will. So I'll just end by asking you, moving forward, when you leave this place tonight, which word will better associate for you with following Jesus? Will it be failure or victory? The good news is Jesus Christ has already won. You have everything you need to walk in victory. You have God's sight. You have God's strength and God's spread. Let's pray together.
If you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're realizing right now that your soul has been made for him. You have been made for Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came and died and rose from the dead to bring you into right relationship with God. If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ tonight, then I just invite you in this moment to pray and say, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? Thank you that you died on the cross for me. Thank you that you rose from the dead for me. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? And would you lead me in a new life? And if you're here tonight and you already know Jesus, then let me just encourage you. What Do business with the Lord now. Don't wait until you leave. Like if, if you've been wearing the wrong les, lenses, lenses of failure, then take them off and, and invite God's perspective that he's your host. You're his honored guest. He takes responsibility for your safety. Maybe you just get on your knees and you beg God to unleash resurrection power in your life through the presence of his spirit. Or maybe you just need to sit and taste and see that God is good. That you just sit here tonight until you begin to taste God's goodness. That it would be satisfying to your soul. Lord Jesus, we need you. We love you. We believe that there is no one greater than you. You are the one we have been made for, God. So I pray that tonight you would do a miraculous work in each of our lives. Speak to our hearts. We need you in Jesus' name.